Hello, and welcome to Create You, the personal growth and development podcast that will help you break through to better results in your life, work, and relationships. I'm your host, Jeremy Flagg, and thank you for joining me. It seems harder than ever to make a relationship last. With so many marriages ending in divorce and many couples opting just to live together instead of tie the knot, it seems like it's harder than ever to enjoy a partnership that not only stands the test of time, but also fulfills the desires of both parties. In today's episode, I'm joined by my wife, Lisa, for a very special conversation about the lessons we've learned from our 20 plus happy years together. So if you've ever wondered how to make love last in a world where relationship longevity is rare, then listen to our conversation for some tips and strategies that will help you enjoy the healthy and happy relationship that you desire. Hey, it's your host, Jeremy Flagg, welcoming you back to another episode of Create You. Hey, I have a really special treat for you today. Beside the fact that we are celebrating episode number 30, which is a feat for sure, since we started back in September, we've had lots of awesome feedback, lots of great episodes. Today is a really, really special one because I have as a special guest with me, my beautiful wife, Lisa. Welcome, Lisa, to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited. This should be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I think everybody's going to think <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So we are going to be talking today about lessons that we have learned from our now 20 plus years together. We celebrated our uh, 20th anniversary of our very first date on the 12th of December this month. That's right. And uh, even though it's debatable about the actual first date, and we may talk about that here on the show, but I called huh. this episode, Listen to Your Wife, and there's going to be a big reason for it, and we're going to talk all about it, but we're going to talk about our relationship and how hopefully the things we've learned can also help you with yours. So before we get started, though, first order of business is to remind you that you only have a few days left to go and rate and review the show in iTunes so that you can be eligible for the free Christmas giveaways I'm giving away. And these are awesome. They are customized gifts made specifically for this moment of time, and they will not be available for sale ever. you got to get your hands on one through the giveaway, otherwise you just won't get one. So I may, they're, they're specially made only for this giveaway, and I'm telling you, you're going to really enjoy them. They're going to give you a lot of inspiration throughout the year. All you got to do, go rate and review the show in iTunes. Give me some feedback, and I'll read the winner's nickname because I'm not going to have your email address from iTunes. All I'm going to be able to read is your nickname and the feedback you gave me. I'll send you to an internet gateway, and you'll be able to give me your information. I'll be able to send you your free gift. That's how it's going to work. Don't don't forget, you've only got a few days left because I'm going to start drawing on Tuesday from those that have submitted their feedback to iTunes. So you basically have until Monday morning to get that in. Monday morning at around 10 a.m. Central Time will be the last moment that you'll be able to get one of those things in. So make sure you go to iTunes. Use the link in the show notes to get you there. Just click the link that says rate and review the show in iTunes, and you will be eligible for the free giveaway. All right. 
Let's get into today's episode, which I have my lovely wife with me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think everybody is going to experience something that most never get a chance to experience, which is us talking a lot about our relationship. Usually it's me on stage, right? Correct. Uh, usually it's me on a podcast. Usually it's you know me with clients. But today I thought it would be a special opportunity for us to engage on the podcast and help you know, other people with their relationships. And we, we get questions a lot, right? It's true. About relationships. What are some of the questions <laughs> we get a lot of? Well, just how we, one of the keys is how do we make it work and how do we enjoy each other? We really like each other and we, <laughs> we get along well. And I, I always tell Jeremy, he thinks it's funny, but I tell him that he's my favorite. And he says, well, I'm your only. I said, yeah, but I would still choose you every single time. That's what makes you my favorite. Oh, so, isn't that sweet? The part about liking each other, it's that's something that you can never get away from. And there's an investment in each other that it's required to really enjoy life together to this level. I would agree. And I think a lot of people uh, wonder, you know, now that we've got 20 years in the bag together, we'll be celebrating 18 years of marriage in July next year. Um, we got all these years together. They wonder how we still like each other. I think, you know, <laughs> there's this strangeness in our world right now where, you know, we kind of think that, you know, relationships are disposable or they don't last that long. Or right. if something uh, turns up that we think is, you know, impassable, we'll just give up on everything and just move on to another place, another person, um, you know, and get, you know, and move on. I, I don't know. I guess there's just a lot of people that are wondering if love can even last. Mm -hmm. So we kind of stand out now, and, and I don't think we really realized it. We just had our heads down. We were living, and next thing you know, oh, my gosh, 20 years. Exactly. Because we have enjoyed every step of the journey. I mean, now there's always highs. There's always lows. Yeah. I was, right? Yeah, we've got some, <clears throat> you know, unenjoyable some moments. Yeah, There's been some zingers. <laughs> of course. But... You know, we've never had a moment where we really ever thought, you know, okay, well, we're just going to give up on this thing. Right. Right. I think the key has been we don't ride the emotions. We ride the commitment. Oh, okay. So this is going to be a good segue because <laughs> I think what I, I want to key in on right now is that there are five major reasons why people get divorced, according to research. I use this in a, a presentation for relationships, and I'd like to give this to uh, the listeners today, that there's five major reasons people get divorced according to the last major survey that I read. And number one is poor communication. Poor communication between a couple mm -hmm. can cause them uh, to want to, you know, divorce, break up. That's the number one reason. Number two is finances, which has a lot to do with that poor communication. Mm -hmm. All right, refer Certainly. to number one. Uh, number three is abuse. And of course, I would never advocate for anyone to stay in a relationship where they are not being bettered. Uh, if you are being worsened in any way and you're being harmed, then get out and that's okay. And that's not something we're going to deal with here, right? But strangely enough, we could deal with abuse in the, in the alternative sense, in the way that we don't use it commonly in our vernacular. We think of abuse as physical or emotional abuse that's violent, but there's also the abuse of function. The withdrawal? Withdrawal, control, right? Mm -hmm. There's abuse of boundaries. There's mm -hmm. that sort of abuse as well, which back to poor communication, right? Uh, number four reason is that they're no longer attracted to one another, which directly relates to a concept that we now know very well, 
about polarity and the power of it with masculine and feminine energy, which we will surely talk about. And number five is infidelity. Um, someone deciding to go get their needs met outside the relationship in the arms of another person. Okay, so those are the top five reasons people get divorced. Uh, and we're going to kind of talk about how we've avoided all of those things and how you can too, because the reality of it is it's, it's really not that hard, is it, babe? No, that's the, that's the interesting part is that this hasn't been a difficult journey whatsoever. No. And I, I know there's there's work involved, but it's it's a work that you enjoy. It's it's kind of like when you when you get to express yourself creatively down, you know, in a vein. Yeah. And it's it's a creative space in, in our lives where we continue to, to have the opportunity to create and grow our relationship and our love for one another and each other. I agree. So uh I'm going to imagine that I'm one of my audience members. Okay. And they're going to want to know, like everyone else knows, right? How did you meet? So I'd love for you to give everyone that story from your perspective. Excellent. Well, uh, Jeremy and I actually went to the same university here in St. Louis together. And I, I guess I was aware of him in a few of the classes that we had together. But there was one in particular where I guess... He paid attention a little bit more to me because mm -hmm. he actually sat in the back of the room and <laughs> I sat in the front of the room. Yes, yeah, she was the diligent student. That's for right. Sure. Well, there, that's also plays into how we both learn. So Jeremy's more of a he learns through osmosis. I think <laughs> he picks up things a little too easily for my taste. Um, and I had to work a little bit harder to understand concepts and things. So. I sat in the front of the classroom, so I didn't miss anything. Um, <laughs> and I sat in the back. This was a math classroom, by the way. This is a math yeah. class, everybody. I'm sitting in the back of the room learning how to write Japanese characters <laughs> with one of the exchange students in the back. That's right. And she's sitting in the front paying close attention to the lecture. But I think that was a class that I didn't actually have my tape recorder on in, so that was not the worst class that I had. <laughs> um, but we were, we were in that class together, but we both, neither one of us lived on campus. So we would hang out in the student center area between classes. And there were quite a few of us that were commuter students, so to speak. And we just ended up hanging around in the same group of friends because we were all in similar classes. And, and it just happened that we got to connect in between some of our, some of our lectures. Mm -hmm. So we got to know each other a little bit from a, a friend standpoint, you know, hanging out in those groups. And then uh, over time... It was interesting because I liked him and the more I got to know him, I learned about some of his, you know, his quirks and <laughs> his expectations for how relationships would work. And really the fact that, you know, pretty early on if a relationship is going to work or not. And I don't recall if you've shared. I have not shared that. what you're about to say, that what <laughs> she's going to talk about, what I had Back then was something called the two-week rule. Exactly. I had a dating rule um, that, you know, maybe I should unfold this on another podcast for the singles. Right. Um, I had a two-week rule for dating when I came up with it when I was uh, 18. And I decided that if I was going to date, I was going to date with a purpose, which was to find a partner. Um, and, and so I didn't want to just bang around like my friends did and, 
and just go meet people and have one night stands and have my heart, you know, strung out all over the city with different relationships. I didn't want that for myself. So I came up with an idea to write the vision down of the characteristics of the woman that I, you know, wanted to be with that mm -hmm. I, all the types of character traits and and then, of course, I wrote some other things down, you know, that didn't really matter, you know, like uh, <laughs> appearances, skin color, hair color, things like that. All those things in the end right. never really mattered. So those well, of you that haven't seen me, I'm, I'm fairly pasty. <laughs> <laughs> and that really wasn't Jeremy's ideal of what he was going to marry. So it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> we get what we need, not necessarily exactly what we ask for. Well, amen to that. And, and so I, I realized early on that it wasn't, it wasn't, what the, it wasn't the appearance-driven ideas that I had written down that mattered. It was the characteristics that mattered. It was the, the things like the, the honesty, the respectability, the uh, intelligence, the things I wrote down that I really, really, uh, really, really wanted to have in a partner. And of course, I wanted to have a challenging partner. I wanted to have somebody with a voice. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have somebody who could hold their own uh, and could make me better. Um, and uh, so, you know, those were things that I had written down. Anyway, that was my two-week rule. I had this list of things that I'd written down, and I would give a any budding relationship, any dating relationship, two weeks, and then I would basically evaluate this uh, woman based on this list that I have. And and if, you know, when you're in college, I mean, you can date four, five, six times, maybe even more, in in the space of two weeks, and. I would, uh, you know, check check the list, and if it didn't really work out, I wouldn't pursue it, and we would just cut it off at two weeks. And then, you know, also during this two-week rule, I had the, you know, uh, no crossing physical boundaries, you know, rules for myself. Uh, so things that I wouldn't do in two weeks to make sure that I didn't get emotionally attached and nobody got hurt uh, because I knew I was going to evaluate whether or not this thing was even going to have a shot, mm -hmm. you know, based on my vision uh, for what I wanted for my future. So there is, the, in a nutshell, what she's talking about, the two-week rule. And I used to tell this to my friends at uh, the college conversation table. Right. Yeah. So um, I was privy to this information, so I had a little background on Jeremy. And so we had, I guess we had really connected um, during these, you know, in, 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 in between our classes sessions. And it was probably closer to about six months to a year before I really started developing more of an interpersonal relationship with him as part of, we would hang out and we would always be in these groups, but he and I would talk one-on-one -on -one more and more. And, I, and then I found out about this two week rule and I thought, Oh geez. So I had um, to give a little background for me is I had been in a, in like a three year relationship before I had met Jeremy and it didn't end well. And there were lots of parts of it that didn't go well. And so I really was like, I was on a break and this could be a break for like five years for all I cared. It was really just not the best experience. And I, I, was, I didn't swear off men, but I swore off dating for a stretch. Um, so he kind of messed things up when I started spending more of that one-on-one -on -one time with him. And But then I found out about the two-week rule and I thought, well, geez, I mean, in addition to the two-week rule, he also has this concept that once you date someone, you really can't go back to being friends. And I, I agreed with that, too. But my biggest fear was if I date him and after two weeks, he thinks, no way, I can't even really be friends with him like this anymore. So there was a huge risk in my mind for crossing that line of, you know, that date. Mm. So um, we, we continued to hang out even at school. And then 
even going out with groups of friends, we hung out. Mm -hmm. And that's where he tries to act like that was one of our first dates, just to put the (laughs) plug in. (laughs) You know, you can't invite a girl to say, hey, we're going to go out as a group to go see a concert or go see a band and call it a date. Just so you know, (laughs) anyone trying that doesn't work. Um, So we had hung out with friends and, and done that kind of stuff, too. And, you know, the, there came a certain point where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. So I actually asked Jeremy out for our very first date. Yes. And I took him out and I paid for everything. I wouldn't let him pay for anything because I told him I asked him. It was my responsibility to pay for everything. So. And I enjoyed it. I received it. He did. Yes. It With a big fun. smile. I did. Well, I had a huge smile on my face because oh, I have to tell you. Oh, my gosh. First date we went to. Give a little background about my lack of culture before you tell her. <laughs> yes. Lisa, I mean, she didn't grow up in a house with lots of artistic exposure. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and she didn't have, you know, a whole lot of exposure to arts or to musicals or to ballet or theater. And I had a lot of that growing up. Yeah. So, I knew how to fish. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't. So that worked <laughs> out. She had the country background. I had the city background. And uh, anyway, she she invited me to the Nutcracker. And we went to see the Nutcracker at one of the most beautiful theaters in town. Actually, maybe one of the most beautiful theaters in the nation. Fox Theater here in St. Louis. It's a beautiful place. And uh, we were sitting there in the balcony. There's a guy behind us falling asleep, you know, snoring, literally. Yeah, it was nice. Ambiance was great. Yeah. We were about... 45 minutes into the ballet and she leans over to me and she says when are they gonna start talking (laughs) (laughs) this is a classic i hear this multiple times this story comes out a few times a year at least (laughs) it's so great (laughs) yeah it's so great i'll never forget it (laughs) it was so great and i just remember smiling and just laughing and just enjoying the moment because i realized that you know we we have things in common that could make us, you know, friends, but we also have things where we can grow and help each other grow mm-hmm. and and uh, and have fun. And that was one of the first things that we did together was we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And we, we got out and we, we hung out with friends and stuff, but we always had a good friendship mm-hmm. together. And that was the baseline for how we moved forward. Yeah. Was and our I, friendship. And one of the keys for me was that I was able to be vulnerable with Jeremy and I wasn't afraid because he yeah. was always so trustworthy. And, you know, that may not sound flashy, but I can tell you that when you when it comes to the foundation of a relationship, being able to be vulnerable with each other. I mean, who's dumb enough to say that they don't know that there's there's the entire nutcracker has no words in it. <laughs> you know, I was vulnerable enough to say, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> And he hand, I mean, he did <laughs> chuckle and I really wouldn't have blamed him. He was yeah. probably nicer than I would have been. Yeah. But, you know, it was being able to be that honest with each other that early. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. It was just, well, that's a great. Yeah. That, that's a great segue <clears throat> into some of the lessons that we've learned about being together over 20 plus years. Because she talks about trust and she mentions that I was trustworthy. So she felt more open from the beginning. Um, but me being, I would say mostly emotionally raised by my mom and I came from a very open conversational background where we sort of aired everything out. (laughs) I was, I was the kind of very open male. I probably had an elevated feminine energy 
you know, to the level where, you know, I was very communicative, very open. I was always talking about my feelings, things like that. Uh, where Lisa came from a little bit more of a closed off background where they're a little more guarded, where they don't necessarily share all those things that they're feeling mm-hmm. and, and talk about those things openly. So we had that going uh, in an interesting direction from the very <laughs> beginning. And even though she says I was trustworthy, I would like to highlight that this is probably one of the areas where um, a lot of couples struggle is the area of trust. Because trust is not something that can be instantly received or grabbed. Uh, it, it takes lots of tiny moments over time to develop it. But I would like to highlight something that I think is a lesson for everyone that we that I've learned over time that's a necessary component of any relationship. And it's why I called this episode, Listen to Your Wife. So there's a relationship researcher named Dr. John Godman out in uh, the Seattle, Washington area who has been doing relationship research for over 20 years. He does such interesting research. I would encourage you to look him up, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. I'll put a link to his work in the show notes for you. And Dr. John Gottman, uh, he's observed relationships. He has uh, uh, apartments, I believe, in, in, the, in the city, and he, he invites couples to be observed uh, for his research over weekend stays, and he gets to watch how they live. And one of the things that he highlights that's, you know, very important for any relationship, of course, is trust. But it's a special kind of trust, you know. Um, and I'd, I'd like to coincide this with some of my background because, you know, coming from being a former pastor, um, we started our relationship in the Christian circles. Mm-hmm. And there was always this one particular proverb kicked around during Mother's Day time that still gets kicked around for women all the time. It was, uh, I believe it's Proverbs 31. Um, and this proverb talks about uh, the, the, the woman, the wife, um, who does almost everything. She's like superwoman, right? And how, I mean, how did that feel for you when you were first hearing that proverb, by the way? Well, it's a little, <clears throat> it's a little daunting. <laughs> yeah. Because... It's uber idealistic. Yeah. And, but the the thing to keep in mind, though, too, is when you read it, it's over a lifetime. But how was it delivered? If, how did it feel like, uh, what were the expectations you felt like were on you? It was a requirement. It? it was like a checklist. A checklist of things that you what? You, if to be, to be rocking it as a wife and a mom, you basically had to meet all these criteria. Okay. And by the way, if you've never read this proverb before, I mean... There's a lot of it's stuff. Extensive. Yeah, I mean, she dabbles in real estate. I mean, she makes clothing. Yeah. I mean, uh, she runs the household. I mean, she is doing literally everything. A total show off. <laughs> total show off, right? But buried in this proverb is a verse that I noticed that seems like every pastor I knew and every leader I knew would gloss over. And it says in verse 11 of, of, that, of that chapter, it says that, the man's heart trusts his wife. You might want to say that one one more time. The man's heart trusts his wife and it goes well with him. That's the, the benefit of being uh, of trusting 
your wife, right? Uh, trusting your partner, trusting your significant other. So, in the particularly in the math, the masculine energy here is trusting the feminine energy that she has my best interests at heart. So I want to point out that what I've realized from the beginning of our relationship, because I've learned so much now that I get to teach couples and help them with, that I would like to point out uh, looking back, is that I was able to give my trust to Lisa, but I had to earn her trust. It's true. And that's kind of key, I think. And it wasn't for, for how a, we worked. It wasn't due to a failure on Jeremy's part. It was based on the history. And I had alluded to the relationship that I'd had prior to Jeremy. And so the trust that I had was familiar with was, wasn't really trust whatsoever. Yeah. What I call trust wasn't true trust. Yeah. And part of that is because you came off of a, a difficult three year stint. Yeah. Um, I mean, by it, all, we should acknowledge it as abusive. I mean, it was an abusive relationship. The the initial year or so was not, but right. yeah, it did progress to that. And uh, so her trust meter was really low. <laughs> Extremely. It was in the basement. <laughs> yeah. With men in general. Correct. Uh, and then, you know, I had to realize that and I had to embrace her for who she was in the moment and not require her to be something else. I just had to allow myself first of all to accept that that's what she would give me for the moment but i also had to realize that i could make it better mm -hmm. i never once wrote her off because she couldn't trust me completely although i had plenty of advice right. in that direction i was gonna say that your friends <laughs> thought you were crazy yeah i mean i used to check in all the time i remember doing that obsessively uh, and it wasn't out of my request no i yeah I sort of, the same way that I was very conscious about the vision that I had for the woman that I wanted in my life, I was also very conscious about how I would develop our relationship. And one of those consciousness, you know, moments was how I developed trust with you. And I made it, you know, a very plain, very upfront thing where I just decided I would just choose to do all the things that I thought would build trust instead of waiting for you to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Because if you had to ask for it, it wouldn't have meant as much. Right. Right. Not only that, I didn't want to feel drug into, you know. It was on your terms. Obedience of some sort. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, I wanted to defer. I wanted to give you what you needed from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, lesson number two. <laughs> Trust lesson number one. Lesson number two would be giving each other what we need so that our relationship succeeds, but also so that we grow mm -hmm. and we develop. So talk about growth and development and how important that is in our relationship. Well, I would, I've told you this story many times, Jeremy, and I remember literally standing at the altar when we were getting married and looking across at him and knowing that I was getting an amazing man today, but there was so much more that we had both yet to realize toward our full potential. Yeah. And I wanted to be there to support him to achieve his potential. And I felt very supported from Jeremy knowing that he would be there to enable me. He'd be a champion for me, basically. He would be my, I, I, I joke with our children that they're, 
they are one another's first line of, or second line of defense because you have to first represent for yourself. Absolutely. And be accountable for yourself. And then second, you have built in support through yeah. your siblings. And I only feel like that because I've I've had that with Jeremy. Yeah. So I learned how to be strong on my own. And then I was able to be supported in a relationship even better because he helped me to be strong for myself. And then he also was there to support me when I need someone to lean on. Yeah. Oh, that was so touching, babe. I know. I didn't realize I had that at all. (laughs) I am all ready to go. I mean, gosh, that's a, you know, beautiful recollection. And, uh, what I'd like to also highlight about growth and development for us, that's been, it's always been front and center for us. It's something that we've yeah. never, we've never wavered on. We've always been accessing more. I mean, we met each other in the school, so you're constantly mm-hmm. learning. Right. But the learning never stopped for us. No. In fact, um, we had, you know, scheduled our wedding to take place in between the year that you graduated or after the year after you graduated mm-hmm. and in between what we supposed would be the break between when I graduated undergrad and went to medical school. But I changed that, you mm-hmm. know, that path in midstream. And so, but we kept the date. Right. And one of the things that really changed our life before we even began our marriage was premarital coaching. I mean, by a long shot. So if you're listening to this and you're engaged uh, or you're dating and you're thinking about this person being your partner for life, I'm going to encourage you to find a premarital coach. Um, I'm totally available. So if you want to come to me, I would love to do it. I've walked many couples through it and I just it's it's really, really important. And the reason why Mm -hmm. I enjoy doing it is because it was such a great experience for us. We had a pastor who did it for us. Uh, he was a very present-minded man, though, and he uh, he had a long marriage already, mm-hmm. and and he still they're still married, just beautiful, right. beautiful people, a lot of really great people. Uh, but he walked us through personality profiles. He made us do family history together. We talked about you know how many children we wanted, how to, what kind of family we wanted to build. We even talked about possibly moving out of town for you know a period of time that would be better for us to bond together mm-hmm. instead of having to worry about our families of origin. Mm-hmm. I mean, we nothing was off the table. We talked about everything, right? And it was really necessary because there's a lot of subjects that we choose not to talk about with one another before they come up in some sort of a crisis. Exactly. And so premarital coaching helps you. Uh, pour on the crisis before it happens, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, and helps you to have this you know, clarity moment about what you believe and what you think and your values. I mean, we talked about our values. Exactly. We yeah. talked about our belief systems. We talked about all the constructs that might get in our way. We were able to look at all of this as sort of a love map, if you will, and go, okay, we're not going to be able to do that. We're going to have to go this way or... Let's guide us into this way. Or I don't need to believe that anymore, mm-hmm. right? I can believe something else. So from the very beginning, we were always growing. And it just kind of kept going. Would you agree? Right. Well, And that was another great example of the two variables that we talked about before, trust and vulnerability. Yeah. Because you can't have some of those conversations <laughs> unless you're operating with trust and you have the ability to be truly vulnerable 
with each other and because there was really no shame there's no shame in those conversations there's actually only opportunity and and then there's the cool realization many times that you're so in sync with one another Mm. and it's this amazing reassurance that wow it's a confirmation that i I did good with this. Yeah. <laughs> He's really the right guy for me. Yeah. And I mean, I often say this to couples um, who are, you know, in a premarital phase uh, or, you know, people that are single and they're, you know, looking for a partner. Uh, that's the one decision that you, you have to get right. You have to have the right partner. Mm-hmm. None of this is possible if you're with the wrong person. And we have lived long enough, haven't we, to see people marry the wrong people. Yeah. And then have the, the pendulum swing the other way where sort of universe, it, it sort of, you know, resets them. Right. And they eventually get divorced and then they're in a reset phase where they're going to start over. But now they're scarred uh, and they're not who they once right. were. Now they've changed. They have things to overcome. Yeah. Instead of having the opportunity to have picked correctly from the beginning. Sometimes we don't follow our hearts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we follow our brains Yeah, and we pick the person that we think other people are more happy with, or we think uh, would have a better financial future. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into picking a partner, but right. you know, I would encourage anyone who is in that phase today to Follow your your gut, your instinct about a person. You can really tell. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not all gut instinct. It's not all intuition. There's definitely some things that you should pay attention to. I mean, if you're seeing alarms and red flags, don't ignore them. Yeah. Right? Have the uncomfortable conversations. Have the fierce conversations. The ones that you think I'm not going to recover from or our relationship might not recover from. Yep. But are necessary if you want to build a relationship that lasts a lifetime. I agree. And something yeah. that's that if you're listening to us talk, it may sound not that it was a fairy tale wedding and all that, but there were <laughs> it totally wasn't. There we didn't we didn't have full support from both sides of our family we either. Did not. And no. so that was uh we we sound like, oh yeah, we got married and it was all it was all easy. It wasn't really that straightforward of a process. It really wasn't. But no. the thing that you have to have peace with and really be set on and centered in is your decision to marry this other person. Yeah. And you can't do it for someone else and you can't do it against or despite someone else. It has to be for you and for them together. Yes. That the one on the individual you're marrying or in that relationship with, it can't be, you can't allow all these external factors to determine your path. Yeah. There comes a time when you have to stand alone in your decision. Exactly. And if you're not comfortable with it, it'll show up. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe not on the altar. Maybe like a, a few maybe. years later. Yeah. But it will show up. Yeah. So let's talk about um, some of the other cool lessons we've learned over 20 years. And I got a big one. And I'm back to the beginning here of how I titled this episode, right? Listen to your wife. I mentioned Dr. John Gottman already in, re- in reference to trust. But he's also done uh, lots of other research. And whenever he gives an opportunity, uh, he actually wrote a book called The Seven Principles of How Marriage Works or Seven Principles of a Working Relationship. It's, it's a beautiful book. I encourage everybody to get it. I'll give you a link in the show notes. It's all scientifically based, which is great because it's no longer a conjecture. You know, he's actually formulated theory based on observation, which we call science, right? So one of the things he, I think it's principle number four, 
in his book is, is that you must be allowing your partner to influence you over time. Mm-hmm. And he specifically highlights that if there were, and I've heard this in, repeatedly in interviews, I've seen it on his blog posts and other things that he puts out, that if there is one indicating factor of a successful relationship, it's whether or not, or to the degree which, the husband will allow his wife to influence him. Hence the title of this episode, Listen to Your Wife. And there's huge reasons for this. Now, I, I can tell you this. I did not come by this you know, intellectually. I came by this intuitively. So some of it was because I was predisposed to uh, feminine authority because my mom was the alpha in our household. She was. The alpha mama. Alpha mama. <laughs> she was the alpha mama. And, uh, you know, and she loved us a certain way, directed us a certain way. And I was always um, very sensitive to her needs and what she needed and wanted in life. And I think I carried that directly into our marriage. But there came a moment, not too many weeks even, after we got married, when I was with my parents and we were having dinner and Lisa was off at, I believe, I used to take Taekwondo, I believe. Right. Yeah. And she was off at a Taekwondo You just class. never know when you might need to kick some. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Let I didn't work you. in the best part of town, so maybe that was my motivation at the time. <laughs> so Lisa was off at class. And I was having dinner with my parents. We were talking about our marriage. And my mom made a, a snippy comment about Lisa that went something like, uh, oh, is that not what the queen wants? You know, some sort of sarcastic comment about what, you know, some sort of decision Lisa had made or something about our house or something, you know. We were living in an apartment not too far from the house I grew up. Uh, and I would regularly come back because I was a drummer and I would go pick up my equipment from my parents' place because we didn't have room for it at our apartment. So I was over there and we were having dinner and then after dinner she makes this comment. And I had, I remember it being like a distinct moment of time like i could freeze time and still see it i can see the stuff that was hanging on the wall behind my mom's head i can see the color of the carpet i could see everything in this moment because i froze time and i had a conversation with myself in the milliseconds that were passing and it went something like i know there was the the husband part of me came up the masculine male husband part of me came up and said that's not okay. And the son, the good son, boy part of me came up and said, don't ever speak you know, wrongly to your mom. And I had this fight on the inside of me happening where who was going to win? Was it going to be mom you know, who raised me up and who made me into the person I was? Or was it going to be you know, my wife who, you know, who was, I need to bond with and we, to, if we're going to make a life together? And in that moment, I knew it was right in my heart to do. And of course, I was scared, but I did it anyway. And I looked my mom in the eye and I said, don't talk about my wife that way. Yay. 
<laughs> I remember like it was yesterday because of her reaction, which was, you know, like the lioness's eyes. You ever seen those? Yeah, yeah. that's the kind of eyes I got. I thought she was going to bite my head off. Um, and she was really super pissed. But <laughs> that's, that's an understatement. I think yeah, it lasted a few yeah, days. I don't think she talked to me for a few weeks, <laughs> but I had established the boundary and the boundary was no, no, no. My, and I remember saying this to my mom. Don't, don't forget what I followed up with. I've mm -hmm. said this to Lisa many times. But I remember saying to her, don't talk about my wife that way. And in case you didn't, I remember saying almost sarcastically back, right? In case you didn't get the memo, my wife is first place. And now you have moved into second. Right? On the priority chart. You can hear the pin drop, can't you? <laughs> you can... Although the, it wasn't quiet for long, because I'm sure she pounced pretty fast. And I got to tell you, everybody, I mean, of all the relationships that I get to help now, um, and I do get to help relationships, it's actually one of my favorite things to do, because mm -hmm. we have such a great one, and I'd love to be able to share those principles with everyone else who wants to have their best relationship as well. But one of the things that I always notice is that there's this bonding issue between the male and the female, between the husband and the wife. Because in a lot of households, the moms have an unhealthy emotional attachment with their sons. And if the son doesn't recognize it, then mom will continue to be first place, even when wife should be first place. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then there's an inability for them to be truly emotionally bonded at the most foundational level that makes them a partner. Mm-hmm and a team together. And instead, there'll still be this insecurity that exists between them because the wife knows that every time mom's in the room, she's second fiddle. And that's a huge trust eroder. Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah. And it, it, it causes lots of trouble in relationships. So if you're hearing this today and you're having some of these issues, this could be maybe the source of it. You know, when we talk about things that you, you read a survey, the five reasons people get divorced. Those are reasons. Those are symptoms. Mm -hmm. Those are not sources. Yeah. So when I talk about lessons that we've learned, I'm thinking more about source-related information, things that can really help you have the life that you want, right? Lisa's worried that we're going over time, but I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is thinking, who cares? Let's just keep going, right? All right, so we've talked about trust being a major factor. We've talked about growth and progress being a major factor because I, I mean, we can't understate it really. No. If you don't grow together, you will grow apart. apart. Simple. Um, you know, premarital coaching being a, ne a necessary function mm -hmm. of how we became who we were and how it set us off on an accelerated path mm -hmm. of growth and development and bonding together. Um, and now we've talked about putting, listening to your wife. Right. And I still have more to talk about here, but that was just oh, the yes, first part. <laughs> <laughs> the first part was I had to realize that she was my most important priority. She's the most important. She's my new alpha female. Nice. Right. <laughs> she's the one that's the most important in my world. And when I say alpha female, that's really not far off from how we live together. It really isn't. I, I, stumbled upon later on in our relationship how to explain this to other people and how it's actually been buried in uh, the biblical story that we all get 
told, you know, if you're if you're Christian, you've been told the story for many, many years uh, in Genesis about Adam and Eve and all that stuff. There's actually lots of awesome uh, stuff in the original language of that story that we miss out on completely because we're reading translations and we're and we're actually listening to a narrative that's been given to us over the last, you know, 1700, 1800 years of Christian thought. But there's this beautiful idea that the in order for a marriage to really work, a I have to we have to recognize one another's functions. Now these are not roles, right? Mm-hmm. Would you agree about this? Yeah. Like roles are what people normally talk about. They say, "Oh, you're not playing the right role." Well, I mean, role is something that you play. It's a character you play. It's a yeah. You know, it's a list of things that you do or tasks <clears throat> that you perform. That's not what we do. We function in certain ways. We allow our energies to function together. Exactly. Right? Um, So we recognize and respect and honor the function that we have in each other's lives and the purpose with which we were made to function. Right? So the man's purpose, and I'm going to have to give this to you in shorthand, everybody, is the, the man's purpose in a relationship would be to serve, support, sacrifice, and stand for what's right. That's my role serve her to support her to sacrifice my um, <laughs> self-sacrificing in a relationship means to make room for her to influence me and use the tools that she's been given to lead our social relationship our relationship and manage it in the direction that she feels guided to and I have to sacrifice my natural tendency to want to control that and allow her space to be who she really is and to show up and bloom and be open and be vulnerable the way that she wants to be and be powerful the way she wants to be. So alpha female is kind of a funny way of saying it, but I mean, that that's sort of how we work, mm-hmm. really. She allows me to be alpha as well, right, mm-hmm. in other areas. But in, in the area of our relationship particularly, I mean, I'm always deferring to you. I'm always asking what you think. I never, we never make big decisions without both input, and we consider one another. We honor one another that way, right? I think there's this uh, evolutionary predisposition for men to distrust the hearts of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, it's actually a huge deal. Uh, and at the very, very deepest level, even really nice men that I meet, really, I would call conscious men, like really, you know, really well-centered, growth-minded men who seem to have great marriages at this most basic level seem to not completely 100% trust their wife with their heart. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I did from very early on yeah. in our relationship. And because I allowed you to guide us into certain places uh well let's talk about it i mean there were times when you said um let's not do that and i really wanted to do it <laughs> right yeah where you said i don't think this this doesn't feel right and i could have just been like no i'm just that's that's dumb we got to go through with it right we got to do it right and what there were some decision points where Sometimes we, you didn't listen to me too, right? Yeah. Well. They weren't as, I mean, nothing that I was telling Jeremy over this past weekend when we actually celebrated the anniversary of our 20th 
year together from yeah. a dating standpoint that, you know, we both have made mistakes throughout this process, but none of them have been insurmountable. Because of the foundation we're talking about. Because of the core of how we yeah. operate with one another. Right. And yeah, so there's, there have been those instances and those moments, but they are that an instance or a moment and it's not a lingering, it doesn't have a lingering effect. Yeah, I agree with you. So in addition to allowing you to influence me, we've also uh, taken great strides to communicate very clearly. We don't play games with each other. Mm -mm. We don't play the, well, you should just know what I need game. Right. Oh, I shouldn't have to tell you game. We agreed very early on that we would tell each other what we wanted, tell each other what we needed. We would not suppose that the other person knew what we were thinking. Mm Mm-hmm or knew what we wanted, but we would share with one another, right? We made unspoken, I think, unconscious agreements with each other that we wouldn't take things personally, that we wouldn't, you know, make suppositions about what one another were doing or feeling or thinking in any moment. Would right. you agree? Yeah. And so our communication has never suffered the way we see some other people suffer uh, because we don't, we don't sit around stewing over what we think the other one is thinking because we're so open. We just share with one another what's going on, sometimes in a brutal way. <laughs> it's not always smooth. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they call it brutal truth. That's right. right. Sometimes it's brutal just something honesty. maybe you shouldn't have shared. And maybe right now we're sometimes we feel too open. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's really no such thing, I don't think. Because I think the more we've grown together, the more we realize that we are more and more a mirror of one another, right? Would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other lessons you want to include in this episode? Oh, my gosh. There just seems There's, to be a lot, don't there? I know there, there would be a lot to share. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I guess one of the last things I want to highlight, and this is maybe one of the biggest um decisions we've ever made and we've commitments i would say even commitment not just a decision it's a commitment you know it we we made this decision and we cut off all other possibilities and we've stuck to it for years Mm -hmm. and we have had a regular date night for i don't know gosh since our what I mean, well, I would we say made it a, a major priority a when decade. we had our first child. Right. It was that's when it was really we made it more a major difficult. priority then right. because we were always by ourselves before. Right. You know, and we always had we were dating all the time, and we were, but we would go out and we would we would have date night then too. Right. But I mean, we made a, a conscious decision before our daughter was born that we would put our marriage first because we were here before the kids got here. And we're going to be here loving each other after the kids are gone. Mm-hmm. And we want our lives to have that future opportunity to thrive and succeed. And so we have to sow those seeds over time uh, to make sure that all those seeds are there to come up as a harvest later. So we made a decision then to put our marriage first. And we've never looked back. We no. found sitters. We found <clears throat> friends, family, anybody who would watch the kids. Uh, we we have a unique situation now where my mom actually lives with us, so we have like a built-in babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never miss date night. 
No. And if we do, we can tell the following week because yeah. it's it's like our refresh button. Yeah. If we get to talk to each other about things that, you know, we could talk to each other after the kids go to bed. But it's different when you have an entire evening to just, you know, refresh from the week, talk about what's happened, consider where you're going together in the future. You know, there there may be some big decisions coming or, you know, maybe there's the biggest decision is what are we going to do? Go see a movie? You know, you just get to enjoy each other. It doesn't all have yeah. to be so thoroughly planned out. And you'll find that Jeremy may reveal it or not, but <laughs> I'm not the biggest date planner. No, I guess not. after my epic fail with the Nutcracker, <laughs> the <laughs> Nutcracker move, I don't know. No, but well, he's, he's, he tends to be, he tends to be really thoughtful in this area. So he's really good at planning. You know, he'll, he'll pick up on my hints here and there and, or, you know, a movie that I wanted to see, or he's, he's just very thoughtful when it comes to, you know, setting that time aside, but not only setting it aside, but making it something for us to enjoy together. And that's just another way that he loves me. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, and I guess that's the key, isn't it? You know, so, so many relationships get caught up in the idea that I don't want to do that. You should do that first. Or I don't want to do that because it's not this or it's not my strength or it's not my strong suit or whatever yeah. i mean there comes a point when you just realize guys that you have a house to manage and there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done right and inside of the commitment to you know be in a relationship is the commitment to put your relationship as the highest priority and all that other stuff needs to go to a distant second who cares who does the laundry who cares who cleans the dishes who cares who picks up the kids who cares who makes the money yeah. in our relationship. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was a whole other episode we have to have now <laughs> about being a stay-at-home dad and how I had to grow into masculinity that wasn't centered around what I did yeah. for a living. And how my masculinity had to come from the inside out and I had to like rediscover what it meant to be a man that didn't make a paycheck and that stayed home with his two kids exactly. in Mr. Mom fashion. Yeah, we do and, have to do that. I got super judged all the time for from it. men and women. Yeah, I mean, that oh was my gosh, un- I do I need was, to have another. That was episode. an unexpected. I really thought it would have been esteemed higher. Yeah, because because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, our kids did. Yeah, <laughs> they thought they still think it's the coolest thing ever. When we talk about there's a stay-at-home mom, they're like, "Really? What about the dad?" <laughs> I mean, I think they figured it out now, but yeah, it was funny initially. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, guys, I mean, here we're coming up on an hour. I think we're going to shut down our conversation <laughs> for the moment. But uh, if you enjoyed this, and I have a, a sneaking suspicion that <laughs> many of you are going to have enjoyed listening to us talk about 20 years together, because my relationship stuff that I've been sharing, I mean, you guys are all really enjoying it. We're getting really good feedback on it. Um, and a lot of it just comes from the experimentation <laughs> And the trial error and the awesome results that I get with this lovely woman here. So how about this? How about um, we have a little moment of time where Elisa has some time off from work. So how about we have another episode next week? I'm up. Okay. I'm game. And what I'd like you guys to do that are listening, I'd like you to come ask us questions. Ask us the questions that are burning on your heart to ask about how to make a relationship work, how to make it last. Sticky situations that we've been in. I mean, anything you want to ask, we are going to answer it. We'll answer as many as we can in an hour on another episode next Mm -hmm. week. So get your questions in by going to the show notes, jeremyflag.com. 
and go to the comments section and leave me your question right there. And we will read it on the air and then we'll talk about it and we'll answer it to the best of our ability. Does it sound good? Yeah, I think that's fun. Okay, that'd be fun. So, hey, we're going to see you again really quickly here next yeah. week. Don't forget to send us your questions. We'd really love to answer them. And, uh, hey, have a breakthrough day, my friends, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. For more tips about how to create the life, work, and relationship you love, just head over to jeremyflag.com where you'll find lots of free resources and notes from this episode. And don't forget to share your comments with me. I'd love to hear your voice. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review for me in the iTunes store. If you're listening on Apple's podcast app, just click anywhere on the show artwork to reveal the show notes and click the link that says, please rate and review the show in iTunes. Your feedback is appreciated. If you'd like to continue the conversation, then please like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and be sure to use the hashtag create you. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining me today on create you and be sure to check in with me next time when I'll be back with another life changing episode. You won't want to miss it. So be sure to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud to get free delivery of every show until next time. This has been Jeremy flag. Reminding you that you are a creator. You don't need to react to life as it happens to you because you have the power within you to create the life you love today. Now go and create you.